I'm not the house of cards that falls down easily Ooh, I'm strong enough to handle what you throw at me Welcome to Mental Health News Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Sunanta-Walker. Just what are we going to discuss? The intimacy that is mental health. Let's continue to make it as comfortable as discussing brain health or heart health. This show has been on the air for several years and we have amazing co-hosts. And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this. Intimate, deep, funny, touching, sometimes uncomfortable, but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people. The goal is to have you, our listening family, many of you who have become my good friends, feel as though you are listening in on private conversations. Thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters. Just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every second. Hey everyone, Kristen Sinanto-Walker here, and I am on with Aaron Harvey, and his, uh, all the information and everything that I received about him is so awesome. I don't want to butcher it or leave anything out that's important, but it's long. So Aaron, welcome to the show, and you please tell our listeners who you are and what you do. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, I am, uh, I'm a mental health advocate. I, my background is in uh, advertising and creative services. So mm-hmm. I've had the pleasure uh, for the last 10 years of owning my own creative shop in New York. And, you know, it's obviously very inspiring working with really cool brands. I've worked on everything from, you know, professional sports to, you know, entertainment and finance and fashion. And so just getting to work across all those industries you know, the main currency is brand and design and storytelling and creative and copywriting. And, uh, you know, in context of mental health, that's really what my, my big driver is, is how can I bring that modern aesthetic, that, that you know, more relatable, less, less academic kind of tone of voice to a younger audience. And so that's really kind of like where my, my background has been and kind of how I'm using that today through a lot of foundation and charity work, trying to kind of rebrand what mental health should look like and feel like. Hmm, fantastic. Well, tell tell us about your charity work. Yeah, so a little background on that. Um, I had suffered from these really debilitating, intrusive thoughts for over 20 years of my life, and I had never shared them with anyone. And there were this big secret, um, you know, this idea that whatever your brain produces as a thought must mean that that's who you are. And um, so all these taboo thoughts and violence and, you know, pedophilia, incest, you know, sexual intrusive thoughts, really taboo topics and Mm -hmm. things that felt very counter to my person and and what I believed that I was. It was very confusing. So, um, you know, I had a a rough run with with mental health for many years. And when I finally took the courage in, in my early 30s to Google violent thoughts, I came across this beautiful article in The Guardian written by this girl, Rose Cartwright. And she was talking about this thing called Pure. And it was Pure O or Pure OCD. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's exactly what I do with these obsessive taboo thoughts, lots of graphic Mm -hmm. images, 
um, compulsions around rumination and um, checking and all kinds of things. I was like, wow, this is actually OCD. I was like, this is insane. <laughs> I, I use OCD as like a, like a cliche joke. You know, I never even knew that this was actually something very different from what the media has portrayed it to be. So I knew in that moment, once I, once I got healed and better, like with, with my own mental health, that there was a really big missed opportunity in reaching people with accurate information, digestible, understandable information. And so the first project that I launched was just a fun art project. It was called intrusivethoughts.org. And that project has quickly grown to serve over a million users a year. Um, nice. We have support groups, we've done events, we've done all kinds of stuff. And it uh, uh, has further evolved into what we have called the Made of Millions charity. And the whole idea behind the Made of Millions Foundation is that, um, the change that we want to see in the mental health space isn't coming from the institutions. It's not coming from the establishment, the government, um, the healthcare providers. It's coming from all the individuals like you starting a podcast or, yep. you know, me starting a website or, you know, it's really coming from individuals who've been impacted by it. So the change we want to see is, is really made by the millions of people affected by mental health. And so that's really what our platform is about is DIY advocacy and empowering DIY advocates to help educate and combat stigma. Um, and so that's where we're at today. We've got Made in Foundation. We've got web properties like Intrusive Thoughts. Um, we have art exhibitions we did in London and New York called mm. Scene, which try to put a face to, to mental health. So, yeah, that's, you know, some of the work that, that we've, we've been doing to date. That literally sent a chill, a, a good chill, not a bad one down my my spine when you just talked about that exhibit. That's That's incredible. Where are you? Um, where are you calling in? Well, you're not calling in, but I don't even know what it's called. Where are you uh, logging in to talk to me right now from? Uh, <laughs> where where are you in the world right now? <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually in Amsterdam right now. Um, this is largely purely for fun travel, um, but I might be popping Good. over to London. It's very exciting. Rose, the girl who wrote the original article, she actually um, went on to write a book about her life with with OCD and that on Wednesday is coming out as a TV show in the UK called Pure. Oh, fantastic. And this is Rose so Cartwright that you're talking about. Yeah, Rose Cartwright, yeah. Mm. So we, we've been kind of like leaning into this whole idea of like social good and the snowball effect. It's like you just do like, she writes an article, I kick off a website, then, you know, she writes a book that becomes a TV show. Now we've got a charity and art exhibitions and we've got people from all over the world getting involved we've had videos transcribed into everything from romanian to russian to so it's like it's all kind of happening mm. from the community you know that's so great how how do you manage all of that i mean i asked that coming from you know the founder of a network <laughs> yeah it's pretty gnarly um i mean i'm, I'm as you know I'm yep. still, you know, full time in my in my agency in New York. Um, you know, my agency is called Ready Set Rocket. We do a lot of branding work, and it's still full time for me, and uh, a lot of travel for that. So I try my best to um, just find opportunities and efficiencies between the two. You know, sometimes maybe it's a speaking conference or this or that, but in reality, mm -hmm. I probably put in 20, 30 hours a week just on the nonprofit on top of my full time job. Yeah, and I've got like a few people on staff, like well, two total volunteers, one person who actually is on staff. Uh, it's all self-funded. 
you know, I get my check, I pay my bills, and I and I pay into this nonprofit trying to get it off the ground. <laughs> I hear so. you. Oh man, do I hear you? Same, <laughs> same yeah. year. I did my podcast for, I guess, three years um, or two years until a company called Zen Charts came to me and said, hey, can we um, advertise with you? We love what you're doing. And I was like, you mean you're going to help me pay for this? <laughs> and it just came from there. So listeners, I just want to point out, seriously, I know everybody hates commercials. Like I get it. But when I, when we do a commercial, any of our podcasters on our network, it's with sponsors of our show and these are amazing people that help keep this network going. So please listen to that, those commercials with a different ear um, other than, oh, a commercial. These are like really cool people. And we're very picky about who we let be here because those like you're talking about, Aaron, those sponsors, those volunteers, I mean, they make this all work. And I would guess because it works for me, OCD is probably um, you're able to use that beneficially to get a lot of work done, aren't you? <laughs> yes, I am. Um, uh, I, I tend to be, uh, I tend to be fairly, uh, obsessive person in general. So, yeah. um, yeah, so it's cool. You know, we're, we're finding a lot of in the media space where we're starting to see the beginning of the bigger brands starting to come and get involved in, yeah. in mental health. So, you know, we did an exhibition in London called Scene to launch the Made a Millions Foundation. And the whole idea was like, you know, when you're looking at world crises, it's very easy to picture plastic floating in the ocean or it's a picture of famine and just to see one photograph and, and see the impact of uh, inaction. And um, with mental health, it's very hard. So We've done some things like partnering with some incredible photographers uh, and advocates and bring them to life in a beautiful way. Um, and Tumblr, the social platform, actually came on board to sponsor that. So oh, that actually helped us bring that, you know, connect online world where we have a positive community into the offline space. And that was a really cool thing. And I'm also seeing, you know, brands like Bumble, Nike, et cetera, just yeah. slowly putting their toes in okay, well, if it's Nike Running Club, maybe it's actually Nike Running Club with Sad Girls Club in New York City, where right. there's going to be a bit of a mental a mental wellness component to it as well. I know. I talked about that. We've got a, a mental health business series um, on my, my show on the network. And uh, I was like, listen, as soon as you start hearing companies like Walmart doing a special um, press release about how they're going to have um, mental health clinics in their stores. It, you know, even though it's not Walmart that owns these clinics, it's like as soon as big business starts putting out specific press releases about an alignment with mental health, you know that it's finally starting to be taken seriously. Um, you know, by big corporate, which of course is where the funding is, and boy, do we need funding in this space, don't we? <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's on the business side, it's very interesting because there, there really isn't scale. You've got a lot of individual practitioners, you know, yeah. charging maybe high rates, but that's not enough to build out a million dollar, you know, beautiful branded platform that does an Absolutely. amazing job of educating the public. So, you know, there's some tech investment, um, you know, there's an app called NoCD that, uh, they're doing some interesting investment in the tech space. So I, I think tech might help bring some solutions to scale, 
some of these larger corporations, uh, there's a mandate to be involved on a social good level. Yep. So I don't see that mandate, you know, um, doing much outside of general awareness. Exactly. But I, that's where I feel like, you know, nonprofit like us to come in and actually create tangible materials, web platforms, things of that nature, in a lot of ways, isn't even a, as it's not the sexy work, it's the really hard work. Oh, but yeah. it, it's trying to connect that story to actual information and tools that becomes the continuation in that person's journey, as opposed to just, you know, a message they're receiving. Yeah, I mean, there's that that side of it where you're like, okay, so I guess it's cool and sexy to do to talk about mental health, um, you know, from a big corporate level. And there's a eh, little bit of a gut thing around that for me. However, the bigger part of me that's an advocate is like, look, if it's sexy to talk about this now, I'm all for it. (laughs) That's fine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a fine line as well to try to draw, you know, try to balance making something sexy but not making, you know, illness or being sick a sexy thing. Um, exactly. And that's, that's and, something and the challenge that we face. Let's clarify too what we mean by sexy. I we don't mean it, you know, in the literal term sexy. Just I mean it more in terms of you know that it's now the popular um, thing to have mental health be part of a corporate initiative. Um, so anyway, sorry, I just wanted to clarify that. No one's gonna say mental, no one's gonna put mental health and sexy together. Although there's nothing wrong with doing that. I, I have my own mental health struggles too. And sometimes I can be sexy, but anyway, sorry, Aaron, I interrupted you. <laughs> no, no, it's all good. I'm actually right now, we, we're uh, in the process of releasing something called Beautiful Brains. And mm. it's another little nonprofit uh, project under Made Millions where we're, uh, we've created a, a modern mental health manual or a mental health manual for the modern workforce. And that's mm. called Beautiful Brains. And we really take a deep dive in the work crisis, the sheer volume, numbers of people in the workplace where they spend most of their day, most of their time. Um, and we take a look at how that's actually being treated, what the cost when it isn't being uh, appropriately planned for when there are mental health plans in the workplace, what's the cost to businesses, mm-hmm. what's the ROI of making the investment in mental health plans, and how ultimately does that you know benefit the company as a whole? And so, you know, it, we're we're beating the streets. You know, we've, we're sharing it around with the big media companies and and small businesses and startups and just trying to see. If we can get somebody to say, yes, we endorse this. This is something we stand by. Absolutely. That's that's the goal. I mean, that's the entire reason I created, you know, what I've created where I was like, I don't even know who to call to help me figure out even how to do this. I have no idea how to run a podcast network or a digital media network. There wasn't anyone for me to go to and say, oh, good, there's, you know, there's a model of how to do this at the time that I did it, there wasn't. Um, you just have to dive in, dive in and make a bunch of mistakes and then hope that those mistakes culminate into something really great. <laughs> totally. So I like, uh, you know, one, one of the things that was sent to us was Made of Millions takes a no BS approach to mental health in order to empower individuals with, with information that helps them fight stigma take control of their recovery and begin making incremental progress in their local communities. 
Tell me what you mean by a no BS approach to mental health. I mean, first and foremost, I think we have to stop putting these little uh, safety guards around it. You know, if I want to express my experience using the word suffering, I mm-hmm. need to be able to do that. If someone wants to express it through, you know, art or nudity or whatever, they need to be able to do that. Um, and I think what we're trying to do is find that balance between art and advocacy. And mm-hmm. that's where we can really get some, to some truth. Um, right now, largely what we see in the landscape is you see uh, amazing art projects that are mental health related that do a great job of, you know, sharing someone's maybe personal story with mental health. And then you have these, this institutionalized advocacy, this advocacy that's always on a, you know, white website with small type and stock photographs and, mm-hmm. um, you know, says something about getting involved in your community and um, joining a support group. And it's this very medicalized, uh, yep. unrelatable so basically, somehow in between all the art and the storytelling and the pain and the beauty and everything that's associated with mental health and the human aspect of it gets completely lost and medicalized. Homogenized. And what we're trying, yeah. yeah, we're trying to be in that gap where we could take you from a story from someone like Rose, who we did a beautiful photography series and also a short film just with her challenge with mental, with mental health and um, you know, bringing that to life visually pairing that with editorial, but then, okay, now what can you do with that information? What are, what's your next step in learning more about the disorder, increasing education, or potentially even going out and advocating? You know, we're doing things like calling on the community to help us build the, the world's largest online resource of mental health, you know, support systems, practitioners, et cetera, et cetera, which people are submitting to from around the world. Um, you know, we're building our resources in Nigeria and wherever we can. Right. So it's kind of yeah, like, how can we, yeah, we're we're uh, hopefully going to be able to launch a podcast um, in Kenya, and uh, it was they've got how many millions of people in Kenya, and they have eighty-eight mental health workers. That's it. Yeah, I mean these numbers are <laughs> insane, and when you get into yeah. not just like the difference between say the privilege that I have as a white American male who grew up in a loving family that was involved in healthcare, right? And Mm -hmm. the system completely missed me. You know, it took me 20 years before I even understood what I experienced was a disorder. I thought I was a psychopath, was borderline suicidal, yada, yada. And Mm -hmm. um, so when you, even in the US, look at socioeconomics and geography and and how many actual qualified therapists are and whether or not a family can even take a child's cry for help seriously when they can't afford to spend $200 a week out of pocket we yeah. just have these huge gaps in knowledge and access to care or just within the U.S. And then you go one step outside of that and it is a completely it's dire a situation. Whole in the story. Yep. That's, uh, that's why I, you know, I, I correct people all the time when they say this is a U.S. based podcast network. And I'm like, thank you. I, yes, I love the country that I'm from. And this is not a, just in the US. We are in Italy. We are in, you know, we're in hopefully Kenya. We are in, I won't go through the list, but this is a global initiative. And my thoughts around doing that, taking your, you know, no BS approach was since I come from the uh, business side of mental health, that's where I, that's what helped me fund this network was being on the American uh, mental health business side of things. And 
all these conferences that I will go to, not all of them, but a lot of them are those homogenized conferences and it's, you know, it's, they're doing good work, but it's so uh, not at the level that is going to actually saturate into an everyday person's experience with mental health. So that was really disheartening for me. And I was like, I don't want to, I want to get people to understand how different it is in other countries than just the United States. Cause it blows yeah. people's minds when I talk about it. I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand. Like, yes, it's hard here, but you don't even know what hard is when you go outside. Of yeah. The and, and that's why, you know, the internet is such a powerful tool. And in particular, yeah. um, what's core to our strategy is SEO, because at the end of the day, you know, people are going to Google to search their symptoms. They're confiding yeah. in the internet. And that's what I did. That's what millions of people are doing right now online. And around the world, man, we have people email us from groups. They hit up our Facebook, et cetera. And they're like, you know, I'm in a dangerous situation because I shared this information or, yeah. you know, yeah. I, um, my husband left me because I told him I was having intrusive thoughts about harming our child. Um, you know, like really, really sad and unnecessary situations that people are in because yeah. of a lack of, of information. And one of the most empowering things that I've, transformative things that I experienced in my journey to recovery was just becoming educated. I mean, literally just understanding what I was going through and how that related to other people, how that tied to treatment, Mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. So just making, you know, search core to your strategy and making it around symptoms and trying to be a soft landing by having a good, you know, a nice tone of voice and a good design and pulling in YouTube videos of other sufferers. And that is, that's really the key to continuing to um, build out the the reach globally, especially when there's just a, a fundamental lack of people getting trained and professionals in the field. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting. We had, um, I learned, you know, one of the foibles that I went through is um, I had an editor that really had a lot of stigma around mental health and um, had their own mental health challenges, but that stigma was, um, affecting how my shows were being edited. And of course, uh, I, I'm just busy working, 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 recording show after show after show after show. So I don't have time to listen to my own shows. I mean, a rare occasion do I go back and listen to one because I'm just, you know, but I started to sort of get complaints from a couple of um, of the guests saying, hey, you know, they really sped me up and I really wanted to be on the show as someone, you know, dealing with schizophrenia and people to hear exactly how it is that I talk. And I went, oh right. my God. So I had to, even within my own organization, go back and have those, pay to have those edited by someone else. And, and I said, and I, you know, unfortunately, you know, we parted ways with our, our editor, but I was like, this is why it's important that you have people that understand mental health editing your content if you're not going to do it yourself. Because if someone comes on and they are talking about stuttering and they happen to stutter or they come on and they're um, in anxiety because they're telling me a story of trauma and now they have PTSD. And so they take longer to answer my questions or they move away from the mic. I don't want that edited out. Yeah, I think that's that's exactly what honoring that human experience is like and what makes it more relatable to other people. 
I think yeah. all too often a lot of these, uh, you know, nonprofit organizations in the mental health space uh, are largely comprised of doctors, psychologists, psychiatrists, uh, licensed therapists, um, and there's a lack of uh, people who actually have experienced these conditions and walk in these shoes on the board of directors. You know, um, right. it, it's uh, it's medicine and and it's just not uh, that's the piece that's just missing you know yeah not always because we've got some great ones but yeah they're the it's few and far between that aren't um manned and i just you know using the term manned not as in gender but you know manned by people that are um one step removed from you know, the actual, Ill, you know, illness itself. And then there are others where, hey, everybody there is open and honest and they have their own mental health struggles and they went into the field because of the challenges that they've, you know, they've experienced on their own. And then now they're doing this as a career because they want to help because they live with it too. So it's, it's, it's interesting to pick through and see which ones are, are of that bent. You know what I mean? Totally. Totally makes sense. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about, I want our listeners to understand, you know, the intrusive thoughts piece. Um, Cause I went yeah. through that definitely as a kid, mine was colored by me having a father who was sexually abusive and a sociopath. So some of it was me. Um, I call it, you know, getting that drip of poison into myself and I had to, uh, really fight not having that take me over. Um, uh-huh. And then there's, you know, people who like you who did not experience that and you have these intrusive thoughts and you're right. People get freaked out when they hear about it. They get scared. They think you're gonna do something or whatever. So how, uh-huh. um, how have you dealt with sharing your story and most definitely having people you know, have some bias, be triggered, be upset, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, when I got a lot of, I got a lot of bravery from the way that Rose went about it in her first article, because I found that so, you know, such a key moment in my life. I mean, it was a life-saving moment, really. Mm-hmm. And I knew I had a platform and I had a capability being in media and advertising and creative that uh, I had to use. And I also, I also was angry, you know, and, and I still am angry that it took someone in my position that long to figure out what I was going through. And, mm-hmm. you know, the idea that your brain is producing thoughts and your natural reaction is, why did I have that thought? Um, does that mean that I'm more capable of doing that thing? And when your brain, uh, all of a sudden tries to start to get rid of those thoughts, they tend to come back 10x and way worse. And so, you know, going from being a very young kid and having thoughts, uh, my vo- like a voice in my head that would say, you're a pedophile, mm. to, um, you know, incest thoughts about my grandma and family members, to, mm-hmm. um, you know, sexual orientation uh, thoughts, uh, to, um violence you know um, stabbing killing murdering people that I know and love and I would never need so my brain would always be like why is this happening why am I having this and it would make it worse and you know for those that aren't familiar you know this can this can get so out of control that you know it can consume your entire day you right. know, where you're you know you're having 
hundreds or literally thousands of flashes of suicide and self-harm in a given day. And it can make it very hard to operate, obviously. And for a lot of people, it does become so debilitating, it's hard to leave the room. Um, right. So taking that story out publicly, uh, and I'd never shared it with anyone. This was a secret until I was like 33. Um, wow, that is was, a long time to hold that in. My God, what age did you start, you know, having those kinds of thoughts? Around the eight to ten year year old, which is wow, apparently f- fairly normal. Eight to twelve, you know. Mm-hmm. You um, suffered in silence for a long time. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, you know, I mean, that led to, you know, self medication, led to self harm, led to, yeah. you know, planning, you know, suicidal ideation, things of that nature, and. Um, it just, you just give up, you know, the comorbidity yeah. or the aspect of other disorders coming in is so real when you're questioning whether or not you're, you know, a rapist or a killer every day and it doesn't feel like who you are, but your brain keeps saying that you are like it, it, you know, there's a, there's a huge depression that also comes with that as a, a lack of self-worth, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. When that's what your mind is telling you, what, what helped you? I mean, I know, obviously being able to share it, I, I, I know exactly the feeling of being like, oh my God, I'm not alone. I remember the moment. Um, but I, I fortunately had that happen a lot younger than you. Was there therapy or medication or anything like that? And I don't want you to name it because, you know, Pete, of course, everybody has their own journey but were there things that you found um helpful you know on that side of the of the aisle so to speak yeah yeah this was almost you know almost five years ago about four and a half years ago now and i um i uh got a tremendous amount of value again from just getting educated on these disorders but i tried talk therapy i tried exposure response prevention you know uh, CBT style therapy. I tried drugs, uh, probably six different types of medications from, you know, SSRIs to a variety of other things. I tried, um, and, and as I was trying all these things, you know, my, in a way, part of it was, you know, for me to find my path forward and heal. And another way, I wanted to know everything because I wanted to take that information and distill it down, you know, for that next 13 year old, that parent of that 13 year old. And so I did that, and I, where I found the most value um, for me personally was learning meditation, learning mindfulness, and bringing back things that I used to love to do, like surfing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I started traveling tremendously for surfing, getting back into it really hard. Um, places where, you know, you can be very present, you have to be present. It's very good for, you know, trying to calm the, the OCD mind. So it was a, honestly, it's a very holistic approach. It was like, you know, I need to cut out some of these negative behaviors, alcohol and this and that. And I need to um, really double down on, on healthy lifestyles, sports, activities, community, things like that. And then um, I need to learn some principles from some of these therapies and namely, you know, ERP. I got some principles from there that I, I use still today, you know. Good for you. Good for you. Yeah, that's, that's been a big thing for me too. Uh, I started um, parenting myself. (laughs) 
um, you know, I got a horse, which I always wanted as a kid. And I was always like making friends with people who had horses. But so I finally just got myself a horse. Well, she got me. That's how it really works. But you know what I mean? Um, and spending, you know, spend time with her and do, do a lot of stuff that I, um, that helped me self-soothe as a kid when I, you know, in trauma, I'd started, I was like, well, that worked for me as a kid. So why wouldn't it work for me as an adult? And it was almost Uh like, I thought I didn't, I had to give myself permission to parent myself in a healthy way, which I find utterly fascinating. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes it's very hard to parent yourself it is especially well you had loving parents you said but especially when you you know you really haven't had that you're like well what does that even look sure. like you know yeah mm. yeah that's uh that, that's pretty wild you know but I mean I think being able to distill what works and doesn't work down and to be able to share that like you said everything everything's different I think one of the issues though is if you go to a psychiatrist, they're going to recommend you drugs. If you go to a psychologist, they're going to recommend you behavioral therapy. If you go to a talk therapist, they're going to try to get to the bottom of what's underneath, whether or not that's the right approach or not. I'm generalizing here, but this is largely people's experience. This is my experience. And at the end of the day, that's a, that's a very um, myopic approach to anyone's healing. And, you know, there has to be more voices out there talking about the value of a more holistic approach with mindfulness, meditation, sports, community, you know, all these other components of diet, et cetera, that are like very beneficial when coupled with whatever is the necessary, you know, measure for some severity that someone might have, whether that's medication or behavioral therapy. Gotcha. Gotcha. Exactly. It's a, it's a multi-tiered approach. That's for darn sure. Well, Aaron, please tell our listeners where they can find out more about you. Yeah, so um, check out madeofmillions.com. Um, that's our foundation website. Um, we're posting up a lot of art and advocacy and posting new tools. And uh, we're going to have our workplace guide up there shortly called Beautiful Brains. And for anyone more interested in OCD, go to intrusivethoughts.org and um, learn a little bit more about that. Fantastic. Well, have fun on your vacay in Amsterdam. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. Absolutely. And um, listeners, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Mental Health News Radio. I know, I know, no one likes commercials, but seriously, folks, without the help from these organizations, we could not stay on the air. Please give a shout out to zencharts.com. If you're a mental health or addiction treatment center, you'll want to use their EHR. It's gorgeous. And they're just good people. And also mygenetics, M-Y-G-E-N-E-T-X.com, because knowing your genetic code empowers your mental health treatment. And lastly, copenotes.com. We love getting positive messages right to our phones every day from Johnny Crowder. He's the lead singer of Prison, a heavy metal band sharing their music about suicide prevention, addiction recovery, and mental health. See, that was painless. Support them as they support us. Back to the show. 
Thanks so much for listening to Mental Health News Radio. Our podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and hundreds of other podcast apps. Or you can visit our website at mentalhealthnewsradio.com. If you have a question or would like to be a guest, become a podcaster on our network, or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air, please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com. Get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sonne. Don't be surprised when I don't hate on you. After all we promised, we'd be cordial. Sometimes.